Welcome to our service today, and thank you so much for joining us here in our uh, worship auditorium, and welcome to those of you joining us from your homes online today. We are continuing our study of the remarkable New Testament book of Romans. The book of Romans has been called the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. It was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome, and last week we were in Romans chapter 7. A key word in Romans chapter 7 was the word law, and the Apostle Paul really highlighted in Romans chapter 7 uh, the struggle that Christians have with the flesh and the impossibility of overcoming that by adherence to law. A key verse in Romans 7 was this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And I think I mentioned last week that one commentator called this the golfer's verse. I do the very thing I hate. I think perhaps it could better be called the sheep's verse. And I think you'll see what I mean by a short video you'll see on your screens. This young man is getting a sheep out of a pit, out of a ditch. <laughs> well, I think it speaks for itself, doesn't it? I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. <laughs> Key verse for the Christian life. Do you think there's a good reason God calls his people sheep? <laughs> I think there is. While Paul has acknowledged in the book of Romans very clearly the reality of the struggle that even Christians have with the flesh, the fact is, it is not God's will for us to live in defeat. God doesn't want us continuing to jump back into pits of sin. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul focuses on the provision that God has made for us to live above the desires of the flesh by living, in his words, according to the Spirit. Now, if there was a key word in Romans 7, it was the word law. If there's a key word in Romans 8, especially in this first section, it is the word spirit with a capital S because it's referring to the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, the passage Deb read for us a moment ago, spirit, capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, appears 11 times in 11 verses. And so uh, God is teaching us in this first part of Romans chapter 8, and I emphasize the first part because this chapter, Romans chapter 8, which is, has been called by one commentator the greatest chapter in the Bible, is so rich in its spiritual truth and teaching. We're going to actually spend three Sundays in Romans chapter 8. But here in Romans 8, Paul is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer and what God has provided for us through the gospel of Jesus to enable us to live according to the Spirit. And so I'd like to look at that this morning. What has Jesus provided for us in the gospel, in his death and resurrection? 
First, Jesus has provided for those who have received his salvation, who have embraced him as Savior and Lord, a new standing with God, a new legal standing with God. Consider these verses in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Word translated condemnation comes from a word for judge or judgment. It has to do with punishment, with doom. But Paul begins this incredible chapter. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Though we were guilty of sin, we are now no longer judged, no longer condemned for our sins. How is that possible? Well, Paul explains it again here. This is what we call the gospel. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. No one could be saved by keeping the law. But by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus on the cross took the judgment, the condemnation for our sins upon himself. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Furthermore, he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now think about those words for a moment. We could never perfectly keep God's law, but Paul has just said that through our faith in Jesus, the righteous requirement of the law, that which law, the law demands, is fulfilled in us. We're now treated by God in Christ as if we had perfectly obeyed His law. Through the gospel of Jesus... We have a new legal standing with God. We're not condemned for our sin. We're treated as righteous before him. Furthermore, Jesus has not only provided a new legal standing with God, he's provided a new way of relating to God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption what a beautiful way of referring to the Holy Spirit the Apostle Paul uses here. He's the spirit of adoption. That is, he's the one who opens our eyes, opens our minds, our spiritual eyes to comprehend what Jesus did on the cross for us. He draws us to faith in him. He enables us to be adopted as God's own sons and daughters. And the word for sons here uh, is to be understood as sons and daughters, men and women equally, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was a term of endearment. We might think of it as dear Father. Jesus used those words praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he would go to the cross, and he knew what he was facing there when the sin of the world would be placed upon him on the cross, and so he prays in agony, Abba, Father. He prays if it be possible the Father remove this cup of suffering from him, but says, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus' own words, Abba, Father. Now because he brings us into a new relationship with God, he's our Father who art in heaven. He's our Abba, Father. 
Jesus not only brings us into a new legal standing with God in which we're not condemned for our sin, we're treated as righteous, he brings us into a new relationship with the Father whereby we can call him Abba, Father, our Father, who art in heaven. A new legal standing with God, a new way of relating to God, and then thirdly, Jesus has provided for us a new power for a new way of living. Paul writes, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. I'll notice that wording for a moment. He says, you're in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you. There's a verse in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that says, Who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. The Holy Spirit, when he, he makes us new, when we're, quote, born again or born from above, brings his regenerating, life-giving power to our human spirit and brings us into an eternal relationship with God so that we're no longer, quote, in the flesh, but rather in the spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That is, if you have truly embraced Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit does indwell you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And what Paul's going to teach in this chapter is that it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to keep from jumping back into the same ditch, the same pit, that enables us not to be in bondage to the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. And so he says in verses 12 and 13, So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Spirit, capital S, is used 11 times and the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing He, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, the Spirit of God, helps us overcome the flesh. He's the one who enables us not to continue jumping back into the same pit. The Holy Spirit is referred to by different uh, titles. He's called simply the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of adoption, as we've seen. Jesus called him the Spirit of truth. Jesus also referred to him as the helper or the comforter. We see this in John chapter 14, the verses you see on the screen. Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross and says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some versions read, comforter, another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Two titles for the Holy Spirit in one sentence, helper, spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. The Holy Spirit is for the believer. The Holy Spirit brings us into relationship with God through faith in Jesus, and then he forever indwells us, is joined to our human spirit. Now, I think the Holy Spirit is by far the least understood person of 
the Trinity. And look at the verses on the screen just for a moment. L look at that first sentence. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is talking. He's saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you the helper, the Spirit. Three persons. There's a distinction between Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, and the helper, God the Holy Spirit. At the same time, there's such perfect oneness that Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus just said, the Holy Spirit will come. That's who I'll send. And then he says, I will come. What is this distinction and yet unity at the same time? What's he talking about? This points to one of the most important doctrines or, or teachings. The word doctrine just refers to a biblical teaching in all of the Bible. And I find in talking to people even who've been Christians for a long time, it's one of the least understood. And it is the doctrine that we call the Trinity. And any time we talk about the Holy Spirit, you'll see a definition for the Trinity on the screen now. Uh, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think it's important to understand He's not an it. He's not a force. He is the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. Here's a definition for the Trinity that I think is about as simple as we can make it. The Trinity, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the teaching about the Trinity is from beginning to end. This is the Christian understanding of who God is, that God is triune, that He is the Trinity. The Trinity could be defined this way. There is one God, one true God, only one. And he exists eternally as three distinct persons. Now, consider the first part of that definition. There's one true God. Christians believe in just one God, that there's only one creator God. We don't believe in three gods. You may have a Muslim friend who says to you, I could never be a Christian because you Christians believe in three gods, and I think that's blasphemy. And you can say, my friend, I think you've got a misunderstanding of what we believe. We believe in only one God. Christians are monotheistic, that is, belief in one God. Christians, uh, Jews, Muslims are all monotheistic. We're similar in that way. Believe, we, we believe in only one God. But the God in which Christians believe is different from the God in whom Muslims believe because Christians believe in a God who is triune, that is, He's Trinity. He's one and yet, he exists eternally as three distinct persons. There is a distinction between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. A distinction in person and a distinction in roles. That's why Jesus can be talking and saying, I will ask the Father and he will send the Spirit. That's why Jesus, when being baptized, is in the water himself, the Father is speaking from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit is descending like a dove. There's oneness, perfect oneness, perfect unity, yet there is distinction. Now, 
we, we sing about this frequently in the Christian church. I don't know if you've thought about this. Last week we sang the doxology. Um, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We had a baptism last week. You may have noticed when we baptize, Jesus said when you baptize, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We sing that great hymn, Holy, 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 sometimes, which goes, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. But we don't often think about the Holy Spirit. And I find repeatedly that those who've been Christians a long time really have trouble grasping the concept. And I, I understand that because there's just, I don't think, a perfect human analogy to explain God as Trinity. Uh, throughout history, this diagram uh, you might think of as a Trinity shield has been used to depict the nature of God. You see God in the center. There's only one God. And yet, as you, you go around the, the corners, you see the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Many scriptures confirm those truths. But you see around the outer edge that the Father is not the Son. They're distinct. That's why Jesus can be praying to the Father. They have distinct, different roles. They're not different in being. That which makes God God is equally present in all three. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The best definition, the simplest definition or analogy I've ever heard for the Trinity is, is that given by the great theologian J.I. Packer, who simply said perhaps we should we could best refer to God as the divine team. God, there's one true God. He exists eternally. That is, he always has been since before creation, always will be. Exists eternally in three distinct, distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. I stress this because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we need to know he's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a feeling. He is very God. He is a person. The scripture teaches he can be grieved. He can be quenched. He's the one who brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. And now Paul in this great chapter of the Bible is going to say that you believer, now that you know Jesus, you're called to live according to the spirit. How do we do that? I'd like to consider that one question before we conclude this morning. We are called to live according to the Spirit, and I'd like to stress three ways Paul teaches us to do that here in Romans chapter 8. How do we live according to the Spirit? Paul is going to give us guidance that pertains to our, our spirit, our mind, and our body. First, by setting our minds on the things of God. Paul says in our verses today, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. The word mind that Paul uses has to do with what we think, using it the same way we would use it in conversation. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set our mind on something is to purposely, deliberately focus our thoughts upon something. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the Colossians, said in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He goes on to say, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, anger, wrath, malice, slander, What's he saying? He's saying the same thing to the Colossians as he did to the Romans, that if you want to put away those things of the flesh, those outbursts of anger, the obscene language, the, the, the slander, it matters where you put your mind, what you focus your mind on. We have a responsibility for what we put our minds on, what we set our minds on, how we uh, focus our thoughts, what we allow to enter our minds, and what we allow our minds to dwell upon. Have you ever heard of the Tetris effect or the Tetris syndrome? I had never heard of it until recently, and um, I was reading an article about it, um, there's a definition in Wikipedia this author quotes, and he says that the Tetris effect or the Tetris syndrome occurs when people devote so much time and attention to an activity that, that, that it begins to pattern their thoughts and their mental images and their dreams, and it takes its name from the video game Tetris. And uh, he refers to a, a test done that people were, were made to play Tetris uh, every hour for several days, every waking hour for several days. And subsequently, they began to see Tetris puzzles in many things they looked at, buildings, boxes, cereal boxes, uh, cabinets. They saw Tetris puzzles everywhere. His point is that we can affect how we see and interpret the world by the diet that we feed our minds, the diet we feed our brains. And this author, who says he spent his entire life studying, observing, managing human health and illness, says, if we're consuming a steady diet of news, whatever its bias, we will eventually tend to view the entire world through that lens. This is why he recommends people vary their news sources. But he, but he goes on to say, if you're hopeful uh, doubtful, fearful, encouraged, discouraged, consider the diet you're feeding your soul. I find right now, uh, and I, I, I'm no counselor, but I know some folks in our church who are counselors know their schedules are really full right now because so many people struggling with isolation, loneliness, anger, hopelessness. And some of that, I think, is fueled by an overload of media that directs our thinking in a particular way. And Colossians 2 says what Romans 8 says, set your minds on things above. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The best thing some of us could do would be to just cut off media for a few days and let our minds dwell on the things of God 
and do what the Apostle Paul told the Philippians to do in Philippians 4 and verse 8 when he wrote, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Shut out that which harms your mind. Think in line with your new in Christ identity. Living according to the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Secondly, by putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Paul goes on to write, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of the body? Paul gives us a little insight into that in Romans 6 and verse 11. The next verse you'll see where he wrote, consider yourselves. That is, think of yourselves this way. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. In other words, seeing yourself as God sees you will help you live like God wants you to live. If our body really is a temple for the Holy Spirit, that should have a tremendous bearing on what we do with our bodies. If we're living with a constant awareness that the Holy Spirit lives within, that certainly influences what we do, what we don't do with our bodies. Paul says to live according to the Spirit, we should set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We should put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And then thirdly, we should be led by the Spirit. He writes, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're to be guided by the Holy Spirit. He says something in verse 16 of Romans 8 that is particularly interesting. He says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When he writes, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, he's saying the Holy Spirit testifies to us. There's a way in which the Holy Spirit communicates with our human spirit. He bears witness with our spirit. He testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. This is how we know that we know that we know that we know that we are in Christ, despite the doubtings that may come to our minds from time to time, the assurance, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit lead us? We're to be led by the Spirit of God and not led by the desires of the flesh. Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit will never, ever lead us in contradiction to Scripture because he inspired the writing of the Scripture. He authored the scripture as he worked through human beings to write the very words of God. It's a very good way to check what one may think is the leading of the Holy Spirit, to view it in light of scripture. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to live in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ, that glorifies God. I think we grow in our experience of being led by the Holy Spirit as we grow in prayer and worship and understanding of Scripture. And we increasingly walk through this life with the awareness that what Scripture says is true. If you're in Christ, 
the Spirit of God dwells in you, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're to be regularly led by the Holy Spirit. To many Christians, I'm afraid, the Holy Spirit is more a doctrine than a lived-out reality. But God has called us daily to walk with an awareness of the Holy Spirit, if we're believers, if we're, if we're Christians, indwelling us, leading us, guiding us, bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, empowering us, enabling us to set our minds on things above, to put to death the deeds of the body, to follow His leading, to keep us from jumping into the same pit over and over, but leading us in the way of Christ, leading us to, to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and live according to the Spirit. Say, a um, booklet that we have prepared um, for you if you'd like to study this whole topic of the Trinity a bit more, and they're available for free at our resource center. You can also find them on our website under our resources, and uh, you're wel welcome to pick up a free copy anytime. But in that booklet, there uh, is an extended quote from Dr. Richard Lovelace, who was a great uh, theologian and wrote a classic book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And in this book, Dr. Lovelace writes that many Christians simply neglect the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he writes these words, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between a husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services but fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, celebrate their relationship. What should be done to reverse this situation? Well, for one, he says, we should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit mediated through our knowledge of the Word, relying upon every office of the Holy Spirit's role as counselor, we should look to Him as our teacher, guide, sanctifier, and giver of assurance concerning our sonship and the one who is our helper in prayer. We should particularly recognize that growth and holiness is not simply a matter of the lonely individual making claims of faith on the basis of Romans 6 verses 1 through 14, that is, considering ourselves dead to sin. Not only that, but it involves moving about in all areas of life in dependent fellowship with a person. And he quotes the book of Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. When this practice of the presence of God is maintained over a period of time, our experience of the Holy Spirit becomes less subjective and more clearly identifiable is gradually we learn to distinguish the strivings of the Spirit from the motions of our flesh. God calls us to a life-giving relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit who walks with us and enables us to set our minds on things above and who keeps us 
from jumping into pits, but living for the glory of God as his witnesses. We who know Jesus are called to life in the Holy Spirit. May we be that kind of people. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And I first want to pray for anyone watching this service, anyone here who's never truly embraced the salvation that Jesus provided when he bore our sin upon the cross, when he was raised from the dead. Father, I pray you'd bring anyone who does not know you yet into a true relationship with you. Please, by your Holy Spirit, draw that one to yourself today. And for all those of us who are believers, Lord, would you enable us to walk in greater awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit and in greater gratitude for the fellowship, the communion, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, please forgive us for dishonoring the Holy Spirit, for failing to appreciate the greatness of the gift of your very own Spirit within us. Let us truly be Spirit-filled people, guided by your Spirit, led by your Spirit, empowered by your Spirit for witness to the world. Fill us afresh. Teach us how to be yielded to your control. We pray in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Briefly, before we worship the Lord again this morning, I have um, two things I want to mention to you, and then Pastor Brian Edmonds is going to come. First of all, um, our Rock K is coming up on May the 8th, and um, the recipient of the, the, uh, the funds of our uh, 5K this time is going to be the Salvation Army, their center of hope, a great, great uh, ministry. If you've not signed up, this is uh, something you can run here or walk here or run at home virtually, send in a, a video, uh, running, walking on your elliptical machine. Um, but it would help if you'd go ahead and register for that on May the 8th. Secondly, speaking of local missions, our picnic that day is going to be held here from 11 to 2. Now, that's going to be a special day. We're going to have representatives from all our local ministries that are going to be here outdoors that day. Pastor Sonny referenced this when he spoke about it on April the 11th. This be a day to come enjoy fellowship outside, hot dogs, ham <coughs> hamburgers, etc. Also to connect with the local ministry. Now, it would help us if you would go online and register for this so we could prepare the food. And Brian, there he is. Come on up here, Brian. Has a word to uh, say about our student ministry. Well, hello, church. Um, one quick announcement that we would love for your middle school or high school or anybody who will have completed grades 6 through 12 by this summer. 
is we think that there's a lot of value in our trips. Um, forced community is, is one of the best ways to get plugged into our youth ministry and to also create lasting memories. June 28th through July 2nd, we are going to be heading down to Garden City uh, for a camp. We're going to have worship in the morning and the evening, free time activities a little bit in the afternoon, some team building things throughout the day. And you can go online to, the reg to register on the events tab of your church center app. And if uh, you have questions about that, or if we can offer any kind of scholarship, I think, do we have a picture of, uh, of, of anything? Yeah, um, you might even catch David Beatty riding a wave um, about that, but um, it, it would be awesome to, to have you all, um, if you know of any teenager that would benefit from going this summer, we think it would be a really great trip. Also, we have at the Resource Center uh, some of our day trips that we're doing throughout this summer. If we can answer any questions for you, you can find me out in the coffee bar. Thank you so much. Brian, I do have to say that picture was taken in Hawaii. That wave was not at Myrtle Beach. They never get that big down there at Myrtle Beach. Last thing I'll say is um, beginning on Sunday, May 9th, we're having another Discover Rock class. This is our class for those who want to learn more about our church and consider uh, membership in our church at the end of the class. If you want to become a member, you can. Uh, but if you just want to learn more, um, register for that. The details are there. We'd love to... Uh, uh, have you? That'll be held at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings during our second service. So you can still come worship at the first one, stay for the second one. And finally, before we worship the Lord again, on your bulletin there is a Hey, I'm Here card. If you're watching online, you can fill this out uh, online as well. This is where um, you can indicate prayer requests, uh, things you'd like to know about our church. We'd love it if you'd fill that out, drop it in the baskets when you leave. And now let's worship the Lord together.